Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. If You Market is brought to you by Mountaintop Data, and uh, I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. Today, we'll be talking with Jeff White of Kula Partners about EBM for manufacturers. We've talked a lot about EBM in the past. Uh, this episode, we're going to be focusing specifically on uh, manufacturing companies. So Jeff is the co-founder of Kula Partners, and they're an agency that uh, specifically helps manufacturers with uh, digital transformation and their uh, sales and marketing or marketing and sales. Either way, Jeff, uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks very much for having me, Scott. So we'll get into ABM a lot. We've talked about ABM a lot on this show. I want to give a brief or have you give a brief um, of what ABM is and how it works in general, and then... uh, and then focus as much as possible on obviously that's the topic on and how it works in manufacturing specifically before we jump into that can you give i gave a really basically just your name and where you work bio there can you give a little more about yourself kind of where you come from um how you got uh, into into the business that you're a partner in there yeah sure so kula partners is based in halifax nova scotia canada on the uh, far east coast of North America, almost as uh, far east as you can go. Um, And uh, we are an agency designed and built around helping B2B manufacturers in their sales and marketing. So we um, come originally from a a web design and development background. So that's my background. I started the company, uh, we're in our 17th year now, I think. And yeah, so it started out as that, and uh, my partner uh, joined the firm about 10 years ago, uh, Carmen Perry, and kind of brought a marketing focus to everything, and we've been combining those two things and, and reinventing the agency over the last 10 years to become a manufacturing-specific agency. Uh, we work with a lot of B2B manufacturers throughout North America in uh, a number of different spaces, uh, packaging, um, industrial equipment, um, sensors and and other things like that uh, so yeah we're we're uh we really enjoy that space we like working with people who are making things and uh we love the complexity of uh of that kind of business it really suits our skill set and our interest well so nova scotia um interesting area for a company like yours is there a lot of manufacturing up there or are you guys you work mostly um i mean you work digitally with anybody anywhere kind of yeah we're you know that's one of the great things about uh you know one of the few great things about living in 2020 as it turns out um (laughs) but uh yeah we can work anywhere we do have a handful of some of the most interesting manufacturing companies in this province um as clients which we we do enjoy but uh we get to bring that skill set to a lot of different companies throughout the u.s and the rest of canada too yeah, added benefit of 2020. Everybody knows how to use Zoom now. <laughs> My kids are upstairs doing it right now. If we lose bandwidth, that's why they're doing homework. <laughs> Tell them to get off Fortnite. We're trying yeah. to do something here. I know. All right. So um, the ABM for many... Oh, you know what? First, I, I noticed uh, you are a UX expert. I, I have a soft spot for UX people. I love the way... Um, you guys think about things. I try to do it, but uh, I'm not quite as good as the, the professionals. But the, the user, the focus on the user experience, I think, uh, translates over to just about every job. Um, so, so I did want to throw a shout out to that so everybody knows. Uh, Jeff's a, a user experience guy. Um, I guess that's uh, probably a hangover from the web development days. 
For sure. And and when I started out, I was really interested in how we help people move through complex systems. You know, whether that I remember, you know, designing like complex park signage when I was in university and stuff like that, like those kinds of things and those sorts of puzzles about helping people understand their way, helping them find it, what it is that they're looking for. And now helping them, you know, engage with their prospects and buyers and, and kind of move those people through their buyer buying journey is, uh, is a large part, you know, it's a UX exercise at the end of the day. And, you know, it's all about helping, helping your, uh, your customers make the right purchase decisions. Yeah. I find it, it's amazing how many processes, not just products or software, or whatever, how many processes fail because the designer understands it so well that they don't realize they don't see it through the user's eyes. Yeah. They're just like, Hey, everything they need is there. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> Why are they clicking is, this button? It's right yeah. there. And, but they see it as the user's problem. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not the user's problem. It's not the, you know, if you have children, it's like a UX is probably very helpful with that. Because <laughs> no, it's not the child's fault or problem. It, you didn't design the UX properly for them to get the result you wanted. Do you want the result or not? And, yeah. uh, you know, I found in marketing, sometimes the product, I would say, suffers a little bit because of the marketing in the UX. The very best feature or way for something to be done, technically, might not be the best way for it to be done or the best feature that's actually going to get used. Um, so sometimes, you know, corners get rounded a bit and things get cut off and things get adjusted because you say, hey, are the average user needs it to be this way for it to be functional for them, for them to understand it. It's like every car, you don't want it to be in uh, an airplane cockpit in there. It may be good to have all these bells and whistles and switches and stuff like that, but then nobody's going to be able to drive it. Yeah, it's quite right. And I, I love actually learning from how users interact with a particular product or a site or, or whatever. And, and, and having it challenge my my preconceived notion of why something is done a certain way. Uh, an example from when we were doing more generalist work and we were working with an international airport. And so we surveyed probably 30, 40, you know, large city international airport sites and got to understand exactly what were the core features people were looking for and how that was laid out, and brought that thinking into our interface design for it. And so on the homepage of the site, we... Um, we're showing the arrivals and departures information, but we only had room to show one at a time. And then there was a tab for the other. So every other airport site shows the arrivals first. I don't know if it's an alphabetical thing or or what the reasoning is behind it. And we did a series of uh, usability tests with that, where we surveyed tens of thousands of users with um, Hotjar or something like that. And realized that the very first thing that people were doing when they came to the site was clicking on the departures tab. And we stepped back and thought about it for a second, like, oh, yeah, of course they are. Because, you know, you're not going to be checking out the site where you're going to be landing in a plane. You're going to be checking yeah. out the one where you're going to be leaving from. So or, you want if to you're know, picking somebody up, being half yeah. early or late isn't big. But if you miss your flight. Yeah, it's, it's huge. And there's significantly more people using the airport than picking up or dropping off. So Mm -hmm. it uh, it was just a really interesting kind of like, oh, crap. Well, of course. And it's funny, we switched the uh, polarity of those buttons and made the departures tab the default. And um, the number of people who actually found what they were looking for went up significantly. 
So um, we we're actually able to, this is one of the rare cases where reducing time on site is a success factor. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's a good point. You usually want people to stay. You want to yep. put them there, but um, not, not in that case, you actually have something you need to get done. Yep. Um, you're trying to convey something uh, of, of value and get them out. It, so we've got, I think, feel like we have the UX bonus uh, on this. Show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we will get to, to ABM and manufacturing soon. Promise. Um, one last thing uh, thought I have on that. I feel like the designers of the other sites, frequently when people mess the UX, get the UX wrong like that, their mantra is like, hey, it's there. If they want it, they can find it. Yeah. Again, it, it's the, that's not my problem. Like, it, we made it for them. It's here. Why don't they want to use it? Why don't they... It, it's there and you're like, that's not solving the problem. I'm sorry. Yeah. Every, everybody knows that button's there. Of course they're going to click it like, well, <laughs> if you look at design systems with any kind of regularity or, or a critical eye, you'll realize that there's an awful lot of people who don't know that those things are there and they don't yeah. notice them. And if it's not present when they first get there, they're just not going to see it. It's just not convenient. We tell our salespeople all the time, you, your job is to get the sale, get the customer what they need what they want and get the sale but just because they want or need it doesn't mean it's going to happen they may not know they need it like you have to remove the hoops from in front of them don't make them jump through a bunch of hoops that's yeah. going to reduce your sales you'd be like but if they want it they'll know that's not how it works <laughs> like, the ux part the user part it could be called hx for human it, mm -hmm. they discount the human side of things and the fact that people are human and they're not going to behave like like the robots you want them to for the thing you design and go through the path, they're going to go through their path. And if yours doesn't, it's, you know, the customer journey type thing also does this. If yeah. you don't create the path that they want to take anyway, they're going to just go off into the ether somewhere. Yep. Not necessarily going to do a ton of work to get where they want to go. 100%. So, yay, UX. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, any UX crossover between account-based marketing there? I think the the biggest thing is truly trying to understand your user. You know, in this case, your user is your buying committee. You know, especially with account-based marketing for manufacturers, and and it, it is this way for other industries as well. But I think manufacturing is a little bit different, just because it's so complex and the sales cycles are so long. I mean, everybody says their sales cycles are long, but then you know, you look at somebody who's selling you know, a, a three quarters of a million dollar sensor or um, piece of equipment or something like that. Like th these are decisions that require years and years of, of research and uh, integration with all these different departments. You know, you've got procurement and the accounting folks and the C-suite, and then you have a, a bunch of engineers who need to know does, how does this product, because a lot of manufacturers, they sell to other manufacturers. You know, especially in the industrial B2B space where, you know, they're building equipment and, and creating things. Um, we see that a lot in the packaging space, you know, where they're buying line equipment and printers and cutters and folders and things like that. Those are all really large capital intensive machines that require, you know, uh, the the say so from many levels of the company, and then you need the uh, the technical folks to say, yeah, this does fit into our process, and it's going to work the way we want it to. You know, we we have to figure out exactly how to implement that and integrate it. So, the, those kinds of understanding of the different people in that organization that are going to have some kind of say in the purchase of the thing that you're trying to sell, um, that is all about the user. And the same kind of design thinking applies to that as it does in a UX problem. Right. So uh, 
I'm sure Juicy Fruit complains that their sales cycle is long, um, but <laughs> it's not exactly, uh, I don't know how good a reference that was. Uh, <laughs> say Red Bull. Um, Lost on younger viewers, yeah. <laughs> I could have went hubba bubba. <laughs> <laughs> Only for children of the 80s. Um, but when you're selling like a $20 million piece of manufacturing equipment that yeah. has to integrate with all kinds of stuff and it's, it's, and you have to build a building to put it in, you know, <laughs> like there's, there, <laughs> right. there's all these different things that go into that sale that just, you know, it, it's, and I think that's the, the one thing that really makes um, manufacturing ABM and, and manufacturing sales and marketing different is that the, the number of people, the number of organizations that can actually buy your product is finite. Um, and it's significantly lower than if you're Salesforce or some other enterprise software company. You know, everybody can make use of a CRM in some way, shape, or form, even if some of them are very, very expensive um, and have a, you know, they, they do have a long sales cycle because you have to integrate it. But it's just not, it's not the same thing. And there are only a set number of businesses. We have, we have a few clients who, you know, there, there's eight companies in the world that can buy their stuff. Right. That's and that's, I guess... So I tried to make a, a trans unsuccessful transition from UX over to account-based marketing, but now we're full on in account-based marketing. That point, when you're mm -hmm. doing, when you're selling to manufacturers or you are a manufacturer yourself in that space, frequently you have very small markets. You have a very limited um, number of possible accounts. A lot of people listening, a lot of people in the B2B space, they might have such a large audience potentially that they can only ever know or have the information on, even know that they exist, a certain percentage of their audience. Yeah. Um, but in your space, you frequently get companies who say, yeah, there's two dozen companies we can possibly do business with. We know them all. We yep. have regularly have steak dinners with them all. So that is just, you have no choice but to do account-based marketing as far as you're how you're marketing to these people. You can't do with general marketing. There's no spamming in that business. No. Um, but I'm sure there's some, some account-based marketing practices that maybe aren't, just because you only have one potential client doesn't mean you're, you're practicing account-based marketing. Quite right, yeah. So I guess to first, can you give a quick explanation to the listeners of what account-based marketing is, what it means? I don't expect it to be a, a TED talk on it or anything. But. <laughs> well, I, I think account-based marketing is where you are taking an approach where you are identifying the key accounts that you can sell into and then targeting those with specific marketing messages that are designed to drive that ideal customer profile through to a sale. And really what you're looking to do is to take those accounts and the varying buyer personas that live within each one through a buyer's journey that you are architecting for them to like to follow through. So in, in our space and in manufacturing, like ABM is really about creating targeted marketing for very specific and very finite account groups. Um, we call them ideal customer profiles for ICP. Mm -hmm. The ICP. Yep. Insane clown posse, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. That, uh, makes sense. And again, getting back to the manufacturing side, I feel like, uh, it reminds me of the movie Tommy boy. 
um, <laughs> on the manufacturing. That's I haven't a seen that in a long time. Sales man. movie, uh, Chris Farley classic sales movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, people, uh, I think it holds up. Go out and watch it. Um, but manufacturing sales, one of the things people don't realize, I think, and even me being in the data business, it I was confused by it and had to go double check and really look it up. But I remember the first time I saw um, a stat that said there are more B2B companies than B2C companies. And I thought, I know B2B is a smaller, it's just, it's just a niche that most people don't even think about. Um, how can there be more B2B than B2C? And then when you look into the manufacturing, and I looked at, I've been working in sales of data for a while, and looking at an SIC chart, I realized, oh, yeah, the consumer is the tip of the spear. They're the very end of the journey is when that uh, hubba bubba or juicy fruit gets into a consumer's hands. In order to get there, manufacturers had to, um, you know, had to take the pulp and turn it into paper and take the aluminum and turn it into foil and take the gum and make it. And then somebody had to make the packaging and then they had to get it all packaged. And then it's sold from you know, just from one manufacturer to another, to another, uh, and then through to the supply chain, which is also B to B to B to B, and only the consumer touches it at the very end and puts it in their mouth. And yeah. so there's just, there's just this long string of every part in everything you see wasn't manufactured most likely by one company start to finish. They get all the parts and pieces from one place that gets them from another and another and another and another. And you have this massive long supply chain of manufacturers that are all businesses selling to businesses. We just think of it as, oh, manufacturing. Somebody made my Nikes. You know, yeah. how many different parts from how many different companies uh, go into that before it isn't, you know, Mr. Nike isn't sitting there at the table manufacturing it. <laughs> and you always see these people who are like, well, it's, you know, it's just 30 cents worth of plastic. How can it cost so much? I'm like, yeah. well, you know, it's, it's your there's a, headphones. That's there's a lot that went into that. <laughs> yep, yep. There's a million people along passing it off from one to the next to the next. I know I'm going to get some comment now that there is no Mr. Nike. I know there's no Mr. Nike. <laughs> you know, there's get always off of, one man. Get off of Twitter quick. That was it. Was a joke. I was being sarcastic. Um, <laughs> okay, so the manufacturing huge space. All these companies are passing things along, but usually a very small audience of potential buyers and sellers, very large ticket, either items, or maybe it's just a nut or a bolt that they're manufacturing. We'll probably make both the nuts and bolts. It would be weird if you only made one side and somebody else made the other, um, that they're selling to someone else, to someone else, to someone else. So maybe it's not a $10 million piece of equipment that needs its own building built and everything around that, but it might be $10 million worth of a, you know, a contract for a particular bulk supply of something you're providing over time. Absolutely. Either way, it's a small audience. So how does, uh, let's, let's jump into the, uh, real quick, let's give a teaser before the break, I guess, on some of the specific account-based marketing practices for manufacturers. Are we talking a lot of strip clubs and stakes or how's it? I think it might've used to have been that way, but uh, you know, there, there, and I think that's one of the things that's perhaps most interesting about the changing structure of manufacturing sales teams is that manufacturers have a, like you were saying a few moments ago, you know, they, there's a lot of distribution channels. 
they have. They may sell through the distributors. They may have inside sales. They may have outside sales. A lot of them are looking to get away from that outside sales model, especially, you know, given kind of the state of the world or where we are right now, the whole idea of the traveling sales guy who owns a region um, is right. rapidly losing favor. And it was losing favor before before any of this. I blame Tommy Boy, I think, killed people's <laughs> movement. They were like, they were like we can't do back. that anymore. We can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, there, there's a, <clears throat> there's a change overall in the space in that you have this, this desire to get inside the heads of the uh, accounts that you're looking to target. There's a, um, a desire and a need to segment those customers. Even if you have a, a you know, a, fairly small potential or finite market that you can sell into, you still should be able to tier those at least so that you have your top accounts and then your middle tier. And perhaps you have a larger tier of kind of like-minded and, and like-sized um, organizations that you can sell to. If and you can only sell to two companies, you should know which one is the most important. Yeah, exactly. I said, you give me anything and I can put it in order of priority. You may yep. not like it. it. It may be, you know, I've got two kids. Put me on the spot. I'll put them in order. <laughs> to, to say I can't prioritize them. That. Yeah. Like, you're not allowed to, but I'm telling you, you can do it with anything. It may be politically incorrect sometimes, but so as a marketer, when you're looking at your accounts, especially if they're limited, you know, say, oh, we've only got 10 people to reach out to. So let's treat them all the same. Like, no, one of them, you should spend more time and money yep. and energy on than the others. You know that. The salespeople know that marketers, I think account-based marketing, part of it is just sales marketers acting more like sales. So I can't yeah. sales. So I was confused when it first came out. Cause like, well, how's I, this any different? I didn't understand it because I'd always been doing it. Yeah. This is just what I do all the time. You're talking like it's something new. So I'm not grasping. I'm looking for what's new. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah, I think it's, it's a way of structuring how you think about it. The other thing that's really, um, potentially different about the manufacturing space from others is that they really um, over-index in, in merger and acquisition activity. So manufacturers are often acquiring other manufacturers, bringing those other brands into the fold, incorporating them in some way, shape, or form. And this actually makes the, um, the cross-sell when selling into manufacturers potentially very difficult because you don't necessarily know what divisions and how many different groups there are you're probably only selling to one maybe two of them and you may have an opportunity to actually sell significantly beyond that but you just don't know until you do the research how many other groups and people within that organization that you could be targeting and that's one of the places where abm really shines is being able to use tools like terminus and and others to kind of say like we're looking at this department within this manufacturer recently acquired division and we want to tell them about the great work that we're doing for their other departments because they've got some of the same buyer personas within them um, that's a place where abm can really come to the fore that you just don't have the opportunity with with more traditional marketing channels back to the ux treating treating it all the same and just saying like we're going to market out to this group now when you have that the manufacturing type of complex sale, I mean, software people think they have a complex sale, and <laughs> I think they should go um, intern at a manufacturing uh, sales place for a while. <laughs> um, so, so just putting out marketing in general, you're 
you know, you're, you're going to lose your lunch to your competitor pretty quickly. If you've got to really get in deep with them, it sounds like. Um, yeah. If you treat it like a software as a service where you're like, Hey, they, they can come and see what our offerings are. And if they want it, they, you got to really dig in and find out the opportunities. It sounds like one conversation and proper question can uncover a line of business that maybe is bigger than everything you're doing currently, because they've got this whole, you know, other need going on type of a thing. Yeah. And that, that strategic level of research on your tier one accounts is really where the rubber meets the road in terms of how you might structure an ABM program. So maybe you've got a hundred possible accounts and you carve off your top 10 that are really high value. You've, you've probably spoken with them before, you know, something about them, but I mean, we've, we've worked with some of our clients and spent, you know, five, five figures in terms of doing the research to develop a strategy specifically for that account and then crafting a whole buyer's journey just for that account where we might have an ebook that was written specifically for one account, one company and one person. That's going I was, to yeah. I was going to say it could come down to a person. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now that's got to suck when somebody retires and you <laughs> six months setting up a plan just for them. <laughs> just for them. But the, the thing is that person may retire, but that role continues to exist right. most of the time. You know, but you'd already purchased the season tickets to their favorite <laughs> event and all this other stuff. This so is why the this is why the stake and, and the uh, and the NFL game don't always work. Yeah, you're selling in Green Bay and you get them Green Bay tickets and it's a big deal. And then somebody from Minnesota moves in and takes the job and you're just like, I can't give them these tickets. Yeah. Gonna do? <laughs> I have to do find a replace and put Vikings <laughs> in there. What's going on? Yeah, that's just not switchable. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a quick break. After the break, uh, get into, you guys have uh, something you developed over there called the Prospect Pyramid. Yeah. I haven't even touched on it yet, but uh, I'm particularly interested in that. Um, so let's jump into that after the break. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. This is the If You Market Podcast. We have Jeff White on today talking about uh, ABM for manufacturers. Hi, I'm Michelle Vandepass from Grace Point Publishing. And if you thought you should write a book, then I'm here to tell you, you should and you can. And here's why. If you've had the thought, that means there's something up here that wants to come out and express. And here's what a book will do for you. It will help you create credibility and give you a foundation to market and set yourself up as an expert in the field. It's never been a better time. So connect with me over at gracepointpublishing.com and I'll help take you through the whole process of how to get the book out of here, onto paper, into a published book. Welcome back to the If You Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. We have Jeff White on the show today of Kula Partners. We're talking about account-based marketing, AP, ABM for manufacturers. Uh, Jeff, before the break, I had mentioned this, um, this thing you guys developed over there, the uh, Prospect Pyramid, uh, which is very much like the Flip My Funnel, uh, funnel, that kind of stuff. You guys have an extra feature there that I, I, I really like. Can you... Uh, Tell the listeners all about the, the prospect pyramid you guys have for ABM. Yeah, and I, I love that you picked up on the fact that it's very much like, uh, I think it's uh, Sangram Vajray from Terminus uh, developed mm -hmm. the Flip My Funnel um, thing. Uh, 
he's a he's a pretty smart guy. He says but, he developed it, but it kind of looked like he stole your pyramid and just called it. A yeah, I think they came out <laughs> at the same time, so we'll just agree to disagree. Um, but uh, you know, it's very much about that same idea that you know manufacturers and, and more complex um, sales engagements do not have an unlimited top of funnel. You know, they do not have an unlimited number of people that they can sell to. So really what we're looking to do is to turn that upside down and uh, and kind of work down through the the stages that we go through of identifying and broadening accounts as uh, as time goes on. So at the top of our of our prospect pyramid is, is what we call the halo. And so these are the things that you're doing to, you know, get the word out in a more generalized manner. You know, there's things like public relations, perhaps government relations, trade publications that come into play there. You know, and it's very much market driven where you're identifying the particular industry that you're in and and just being present and visible there in some way, shape or form. And I mean, so a lot of brand generation, kind of what maybe the general marketing that we were talking about not being what these companies do. Um, right. It's basically not the non-account based marketing, um, the, the general stuff you put out there. Uh, and I think this is unique to you guys. Uh, Sangram doesn't have, uh, doesn't have this. They focus really just on the, the specific activity funnel part but yeah. of you guys show that this halo, it kind of trickles down over everything. It's probably much more difficult to go out and sell your product within a manufacturing space. People don't know who you are at all. You, yeah. you have no brand recognition. You have no general introduction to them uh, out there. I see these commercials sometimes for manufacturing companies. And they're like, <laughs> we make the products that make you happy. And what do we do? We make everything better. And we put, it's like, yeah, they make all these little teeny parts and you know, chemicals for this and that and everything. Like, who's this coming? Who are they talking to? Oh, this is just general brand marketing. They're like, we're Dow Chemicals or whoever it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's kind of the halo, right? They're just just generally throwing out there so everybody, including their specific audience, sees and hears their brand. Yeah, and I think how we think about it is, is perhaps a bit more tightly focused than that in that we're not trying to be to put our manufacturing clients in, in front of a broader consumer audience, but instead spending that effort in the places where their audience is going to congregate you know, those trade publications and those things that, that really nobody else sees ex except for their core audience. Good. I, I, mine was a bad example. You're right. No, not, 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 I don't think so. Because I think there are sometimes, you know, like one, one really interesting account-based marketing tactic is that you might buy the billboard outside of your accounts head office as an example. I, and I love that. I've used that example before saying, I want somebody to do this. Just yeah. buy the billboard and you don't say XYZ company, I say buy the billboard and target your ad to one specific person you want to talk to and put their name on it. <laughs> and you say, John, call me. That's the bolts you need or something like that. The yeah. problem with my Dow chemical example was I feel like their commercial in that sense wasn't um, part of the funnel at all. That was more of a PR to the general people like, hey, we're not evil. Don't hate us. We make a lot of people like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sometimes you need to do that depending yeah. on, what you're, uh, on what you're up to. But, uh, and after, after you kind of move down from that halo and, and surrounding more generally those accounts, you know, you're getting into that part of things where you're really looking at who you're targeting. That's your, you know, you're targeting 
and that pinpoint precision, the exact accounts that you're looking to sell to, the ideal customer profiles, who are the buyer personas within each of those accounts that need to consume or need to learn about you and at what stage and, and what information are you providing. Um, you know, just like with the data that you, that you're selling, you know, you need to identify the prospects within those organizations. You need to understand who those people are, what their roles are, what titles are important. Um, and then you're really getting into the account based advertising side of things where you may be using a product like Terminus to target and put ads in front of those specific people. Um, one of the things that's really interesting about account-based advertising right now, of course, with uh, the quarantines and everything that is going on with, with COVID-19, is that the whole idea of IP targeting has become, it's almost dead. You oh, know, yeah, that's nobody's Nobody's in, in the office anymore. So, you know, really there's a significantly larger percentage of account-based advertising that's going based on cookie targeting. I had um, not thought of that, but a lot of the data sets used are going to be, if they're not careful, corrupted during this time. Yeah. Because if you start populating, if you start linking a lot of IPs and saying this IP is linked to this, you're getting all the all the home IP addresses all over the place now, yep. or whatever somebody's working through or whatever VPN, and it's just going to turn it into a mess with those. They almost need to just ignore everything happening since the beginning of this. Okay. Yeah. This episode will probably will air a little bit later. So uh, if anybody's wondering what's going on and has forgotten already, uh, maybe scrubbed it from their memory, um, we're in the middle of the uh, coronavirus pandemic as, as we record this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's certainly, uh, you know, interesting uh, changes you might need to make to your, to your overall marketing mix and your ad buy, um, depending on uh, who you're looking to sell to. Um, and then as we move down further and, and, begin to expand out the uh, the pyramid, you know, we're looking at, at leading. And what we're talking about here is not the, not the idea of leads and, and customers, but instead leading within your industry. What are you doing to get in front of those people, whether that's giving talks and, and, uh, and showcasing your expertise, as well as, you know, what are those things in that vertical that you may be selling into and across those different verticals who are you who are you showcasing your thought leadership with and what is it that you uh, that you want them to learn about you next as you, as you move down through the pyramid we we look at the campaign side of things and this is where we talk about the account based advertising that may be happening further up in the pyramid but here we're really looking at who are the what are the different tiers of uh, of campaigns that we may be rolling out what are the um, you know, what are the tier one kinds of campaigns where we may be doing a more one-to-one -one type of advertising? You know, you mentioned, uh, hey, John, call me. You may not identify someone by name, but you might identify an organization by name. Um, certainly, uh, you know, you, you can end up with some faux pas there where <laughs> you end up getting a cease and desist on using somebody's uh, name in your ad. But uh, <laughs> these, are, these are pretty targeted things. And, you know, we really look in that space at looking at rolling out these customized campaign playbooks where what are we doing trade shows right now are a bit of a strange idea, but you know, they will come back and trade shows are, are huge for manufacturers. Probably in manufacturing, they probably rely more on trade shows than almost any other industry. 
you know, there, there's a lot of conferences in other industries and in software and marketing and things like that. But in manufacturing, that's where the buyers are. And that's certainly where the sellers are. And this is where they come together and you can really design an entire campaign that culminates in some kind of trade show presence and trade show meeting. And it's a really big part of their sales mix and their cycle. So in manufacturing account-based marketing, it seems, I mean, trade shows are huge. They've been getting bigger for, for a while now because everything was so digital. People had, right before coronavirus hit, people were like, we need person to person. Um, we want human interaction. And they were like, sorry, no more human interaction. Um, but they're going to come back big. People are going to want human interaction more than ever. Um, mm-hmm. But in the manufacturing space, it dawns on me that um, you want to have marketing year round. You want to be in front of these people working on your, your prospects year round. But the trade show part, like you said, it's such a big part of the manufacturing. How, how big a percentage of the marketing budget for your manufacturers um, do you think trade shows are? Uh, we have seen as high as 80 to 90%. Wow. Like so they're doing some marketing year round, but really they have basically a big conference where everybody comes together and that's where things get done. Product launches are massive at, uh, at trade events for manufacturers. You know that a lot of times they're working 12 months with that time horizon of exactly figuring out how they're going to launch that product at that event. Um, How do they ensure that the right people are coming to their booth, that they're booking the meetings that they need to have, that the demos are getting out there, that they're surrounding those accounts ahead of time with that kind of halo of marketing that is driving interest. Um, We've interviewed some really interesting people who who do a lot of influencer type um, marketing within the social media space around a product launch, which you wouldn't necessarily think in a B2B manufacturing space, but there are actually influencers in industrial hardware. It's, it's a very strange thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's influencers, I guess, in every space. I, you know, if I, uh, talk to the people that, um, I'm enamored with in B2B marketing at a cocktail party, um, nobody'd be interested in listening, but then you go to a, marketing trade show and that person's like a rock star you see them yeah i know (laughs) mobbed and stuff like that and it's you know within within the niche everybody every group has its um has its people yeah Um, time is really flying here i know you've got a hard out um so i i don't want to have us run uh, run through here before we finish up, any last things uh, for the listeners you want to throw out about account-based marketing? We'll, st- uh, we'll, we'll get to your company and kind of throw some info out on, on you guys and how people can find you as well. But on the, the ABM for manufacturers, um, any last tips or anything like that you can give out? Yeah, I, I think that uh, in terms of account-based marketing and thinking about it from an account-based advertising lens, you know, re- Organizations should really be looking at understanding um, the intent data that's available out there and ensuring that they really know, you know, who is. What's interesting, I find it even with these accounts that have very limited uh, potential sales um, 
and not sales organizations, but potential accounts that they can sell into is that every once in a while, other ones will appear and you don't necessarily find out about those without using things like intent data, where it's surfacing that somebody was actually looking for your product and they could be peripherally related to that industry and you just weren't thinking of them as a potential account for you. So there, there's opportunities there. Um, once you've landed those accounts, don't stop selling, especially in the manufacturing space. I spoke of earlier this idea of cross-selling, uh, referral-based uh, business that you can generate within an account, um, surrounding the rest of that organization with uh, with brand advertising and account-based advertising is a really great way to expand the share mm -hmm. of wallet that you might have with a particular account. And I would imagine also if you have a hundred accounts you could be selling to and you have one that you've closed and it's your best account your competitors that's probably one of their top targets as well and it isn't like oh they purchased now let's go get people who don't have the product no no you're always selling to somebody who has it who has this already it's rare yep. that you have a product that no one has yet and it's who's going to get in the door first so if you don't keep selling to your clients your competitors will so do you, do you think you get more steak dinners once you become a client um, or before you come a, become a client or should get I, more? <laughs> I, I think it should be more um, before they become a client. But one of the really interesting things that we've noticed with manufacturers over the years is that they are largely about account retention and expansion um, just because of the finite nature of the businesses that they sell into. So there is a huge appetite, especially within the C-suite, to keep, maintain, and grow the accounts that they have and really keep those people happy because there are so few people that they can sell into. So right. there will always be appetite at the top for keeping your best customers happy if you're a large manufacturing organization. And uh, whereas identifying new ones is sometimes a bit of a harder sell. Right. So more flowers when you're dating, but don't just flat out stop the flowers because you got married. I, I keep hearing this. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you for coming on the show, Jeff. We're going to have uh, all your information in the show notes. Let's see. Uh, and you guys, you host the, the podcast, right? The, the Cooler Ring podcast. Yeah, it's uh, conversations with manufacturing marketers. Um, we've uh, been, I think we just published episode 81 yesterday. Fantastic. So if you're in that niche, listeners, if you're in manufacturing and this kind of wet your beak and, you, and you're like, wow, I, I mean, obviously the IT Market Podcast is awesome, but there's this other one that speaks directly to us. Um, go check out the, uh, the Cooler Ring podcast and uh, Jeff's over there talking specifically to, uh, to your needs. Also, um, company website, can you throw that out for us? Yeah, it's kulapartners.com, K-U-L-A partners.com. Excellent. And we'll have that, uh, that on the show notes uh, for everyone. And uh, you can find the show notes on ifyoumarket.com. And uh, also please share us on social media, tell a friend, give us a good review on iTunes. I don't know, spray paint ifyoumarket.com on a wall somewhere, whatever you can do to help get the word out. And uh, on behalf of the If You Market team and Jeff White of Google Partners, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with ABM for manufacturers, they will come. Is your data company ignoring and gouging you or gouging and ignoring you? Those are the main reasons our customers move from the previous list provider, Mountaintop Data's top data search platform. 
What's Top Data Search? Well, with Top Data Search, you can search our database of 20 million plus business contacts and download lists with complete contact information. It's a convenient tool for both sales and marketing departments to get accurate lists. It's free to have an account. There's no annual contracts, no seat fees. Top Data Search is just easy access to accurate data. And when you reach out to us with questions, we actually give you answers. Visit topdatasearch.com and sign up for a free account with the coupon code IYM300 and get 300 free credits. Or if you're just curious, go to topdatasearch.com and run some searches on our open search tool, no account needed, by clicking the search now button. That's at topdatasearch.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.